So we come back this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, having finished the Sermon on the Mount, one, I guess three weeks ago now, um, <clears throat> and I had a dilemma today, uh, with this passage because chapter 8, 1 through 17 is kind of its own self-contained unit, but it's just too much. I just I couldn't get through it. So I, I was really two people. I wanted to do 1 through 4, and I wanted to do 1 through 17. And since you all only give me an hour, <laughs> I cut it back to 1 to 4. But uh, just so you know, the, our, our focus this morning will be verses 1 to 4 of chapter 8, but we're going to read for our public reading 1 through 17 because it's its own unit, and we'll break that down as we go along. So if you would, please stand. And we stand because we understand that these are the very words of God. And that's awesome. So we reverentially receive what He has to give us from His hand today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When He came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Him. And behold, a leper came to Him and knelt before Him, saying, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray. God, you are so much more awesome than we know. And not just in Jesus' day when he was walking around doing these things. God, you are awesome today. You are omnipotent today and you are with us today. You are for us today. God, by the power of your omnipotent Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. Convict us this morning. Empower us this morning to be your agents, to be your ambassadors in this world. We expect it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we do enter our study this morning for the first time with the sermon... On the mount in our rearview mirror. Tell I've been driving a lot. There's an analogy, right? 
Jesus' message in those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, established what we could call the Magna Carta of the, the kingdom of heaven. Now remember that we labored to say over and over through those many messages in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was not laying down a set of commands to follow in order to get into the kingdom, but rather He was describing those who are a part of the kingdom. And ultimately Jesus was describing Himself as the prototype of those who would inhabit the kingdom of heaven, which was and is His kingdom. He, Jesus, as Matthew has consistently shown us, is the king. He's the king of the heavens. He's the king of the earth. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of the universe. He had shown up on the scene after a prophesied birth from a kingly line. He was visited by the king maker magi of the Persian kingdom, proclaiming, like his cousin John before him, repent. And why did he say to repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you think. Change what you are doing. Because the kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, Jesus said, was at hand. My kingdom is near. My kingdom is now available. Now, Jesus did not come to establish the kingdom of heaven. It had existed from eternity past, because God is, was, will be king. So Jesus did not come to establish the kingdom, but to make it readily available for His people. Repent. Change the way you think. Change what you're doing. Change your life. Because now the kingdom is at hand. It's available to you. The kingdom is here. And in that time, right before the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 4, we had Jesus calling disciples, and then He was setting out healing many, chapter 4 said, to the point that people were coming from faraway lands. Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan, even as far as Syria. They had heard that He was healing people, and people were coming to see this Jesus, this King who was making sick people well. And it was in the midst of this miracle working and kingdom proclaiming that Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down in the midst of the crowd in order to teach His disciples. And now, after that amazing sermon in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we start into chapter 8. And what do we see? We see Jesus, the King, showing what this kingdom that He has just preached about, what it looks like in life. And what does it look like? Well, as we progress through chapters 8 and 9, we see two things that Jesus does primarily in chapters 8 and 9. We see Jesus healing people, and we see Jesus teaching slash answering questions that people pose to Him. He will commission His disciples in chapter 10, but chapters 8 and 9 are Jesus doing king-like things, God-like things showing that the kingdom of the heavens, His kingdom here on earth, is coming and is available even as it is in heaven, like He had taught His disciples to pray. And listen, y'all, in heaven, there's no diseases. In heaven, there's no sicknesses. In heaven, there's no death. 
And in heaven there is a full understanding of who and how God is. You look forward to that? Man, I hope you do. Let me just give you a snapshot, a quick flyover of chapters 8 and 9. This is drawn from the headings in the ESV Bible and and a couple other things. But listen, I'm just going to read through it real quick. This is chapters 8 and 9. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a centurion servant. Jesus heals heals Peter's mother-in-law and many others. Jesus tells of the cost of following him. Jesus calms a storm. Jesus heals two men with demons. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus calls Matthew. Jesus answers questions on fasting. Jesus raises a young girl back to life from the dead. Jesus heals a woman with a discharge of blood. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man unable to speak. And then Jesus speaks of the harvest and the need for workers. Wow. It's just two chapters. Healing, healing, teaching, healing, 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 teaching, so forth and so on. The kingdom of heaven is breaking out everywhere that Jesus goes. And Matthew records these items for us so that we can see the king and his kingdom. And it's phenomenal. I mean really phenomenal. The king of the heavens is setting things right. He's speaking and he's touching And He's causing order to come into the midst of chaos. He's making wholeness from brokenness. He's compassionate and kind and powerful and everything God should be. Sickness, helpless against Him. Demons, subject to Him. Death, no power in His presence. Nature, answers to Him. And this is our King. If it sounds like I'm trying to get you pumped up, I am. We need to see both this king and his kingdom if we are to operate as his ambassadors today. If we are to take part in this kingdom, which we are, this kingdom that is not yet and is already. We're serving in an already and not yet kingdom in our day and time. So, as we start into this four-verse passage today... I want to ask you directly, you, everybody that has eyeballs that are in here this morning. That's everybody, right? That that could get real awkward real quick. (laughs) Because I was like, "Mm." (laughs) sometimes things come out and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I do want to ask you this this morning. If you are sitting here this morning and you have breath in your lungs and blood pumping through your heart and you are a Christian... I want to ask you directly, does it excite you to be a part of Jesus' kingdom? And I mean genuinely excite you and motivate you to live differently. I hope it does. And I hope after we're finished today, even more so. So Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Let me read that just that section. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
So just so you know, I'm going to do something that I haven't done up to this point in our study of Matthew. I'm going to supplement with the parallel passages from the other Gospels here. I'm not against doing that, but I've steered away from it to this point so that we could get Matthew's specific flavor, okay? Because Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded what he recorded for a very specific reason. So I'm not against the merged Gospels, harmony of the Gospels. I think they get it wrong sometimes. A lot of times people think that the message in Luke 6 is the same as Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When Matthew 5 says he went up on a mountain and Luke 6 says he's on a broad plain. And I'm going, that's not the same thing. But people think because the, the message is similar that it's the same message. It's not. So that's why you kind of get confused sometimes. But I am going to supplement because Mark and Luke both record this miracle, the same one, and give just a few bits of information that I think will help us see it in a little bit more detail. So I'm going to read Mark 1, 40 to 45, and then Luke 5, 12 to 16 in light of what we just read. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So that's Mark's account. And then Luke 5, 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So just nothing, absolutely nothing majorly different there. Just some details added that we'll refer to as we work through here. So verse 1, Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So we just said Jesus had finished his sermon on the mount. The crowds were amazed. And why did it say that they were amazed? Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He didn't refer to what so-and-so said or what so-and-so said, except to refute what they said. And the crowds were amazed at his authority. Now, as the word is getting out, not just about chapter 4 where Jesus was healing people. But now, as this rabbi and his disciples are being rabbi and disciples, and Jesus is teaching, word gets out more and more, and now it's great crowds following him. Not just people trickling in from here and there, but great crowds. Appalachian vernacular would say, a bunch of folks was following Jesus as he came down off the mount at the conclusion of his sermon. Now this will continue making it important to know that Jesus had his disciples, his 12 men, which at this point is 11 because he hasn't called Matthew yet. That's later. So anyway, he's got his men that he is pouring into on purpose. He's investing in these men. There's a collection of others who will join as they go who are tending to Jesus and his disciples, providing for him financially, taking care of him, that kind of thing. There's a lot of women that are mentioned and some others. And then there was generally a crowd, a flock of folks 
who would gather around him wherever he went. And I'm sure these great crowds weren't always the same people, but I'm also sure there were probably some people who were following him around from place to place. The only reason I point that out is this makes a distinction in the different people who were around Jesus as he traveled. There were the disciples that he called, and then there were those in the crowd. And while the crowd was great, Jesus' focus was on teaching, training, and being an example for his guys. Remember he said, many are on the road to destruction, broad path. Few are those who find the path that leads to life. So Jesus is ministering in the midst of the crowds, but his primary concern were his guys, his men. That's super important. Okay? We're not after a crowd. I'm not after a crowd. Give me a few faithful people that I can invest my life in. And that's how we make disciples. We don't make disciples in the crowd. We make disciples life on life as we're going along the way. But there were clearly crowds, great crowds following Jesus. And these crowds were made up of needy people. I I heard a guy one time took a trip to India and he said there were just people everywhere. He said the crowds just pressed in everywhere that you went just because there's there's a billion people on that little landmass. Well, it's not really little, but for a billion people it's little. And what he said was, he said, I am amazed at the compassion of Jesus. To know that as he traveled around, these great throngs were pressing in on him all the time and he always made time for them to heal them, to bless them, to teach them, to answer their questions. So these great crowds are always around him. Now, we were in Boston, and there's a lot of people in Boston. And I told Amanda, one of my favorite things about being back is it's quiet here. It's not the din of noise of a throng of people everywhere you go. I about had a panic attack the first night we were there. We were in this restaurant. It was so loud, people everywhere. They had the window open, people walking by looking at you like you're a monkey in a zoo. And I'm going... And Jesus operated in this all the time, gracefully and graciously. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. (laughs) So this verse starts with a seemingly innocuous phrase, and behold. But when when you see the word behold, that's the Bible saying, pay attention. It's a way of saying, hey, check this out. Focus on this. Don't just glance at it look at it. Focus your attention on it because this is probably a big deal. Stop and ponder what follows. Behold. It's kind of an announcement. It's an announcement where, behold, preparing the reader for something big. And what are we to behold here? A leper came to him. Now, what's significant about that? Well, most of you are probably familiar with what leprosy is, what lepers are. A leper can't change his spots. No, that's something else, right? (laughs) We hear the word leper or leprosy, and we know it's bad. But do we know how bad it was? Probably not. Leprosy is a skin disease, and there's different forms of it. The worst form can lead to scaly sometimes whitened skin, in which the sufferer would ultimately lose feeling 
in their body in the places where the leprosy had affected it. In their extremities, in their limbs, it was thought to be and probably is highly contagious and that made it a much feared disease. We panic when we hear the word cancer, right? Well, they panicked when they heard the word leprosy. Leprosy would lead to the leper being quarantined, separated from the general population. You've heard of leper colonies. That's where the people who had leprosy ended up. The numbness of their skin would lead to their fingers, toes, and other parts of their body literally being rubbed off because there's friction and they can't feel it. And they don't know that they're doing damage to themselves. They've got ill-fitting shoes and their toes are rub- and their toes will rub off. They'll rub up against things and their fingers get worn off. It's worse than it sounds even. And that sounds pretty bad. In these leper colonies where the lepers lived, they were separated from their normal lives. They were separated from their families. They were separated from their job, their acquaintances. The Old Testament gave direction for lepers, actually a lot, Leviticus 13 and 14, but I'm just going to read two verses here. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now get that picture. If you were a leper, you had to wear torn clothes. So these people wearing these ripped jeans. Oh, I mean, leper. You had to wear torn clothes, not groom your hair. And if anybody got near you or you got near anyone, you had to cover your upper lip to contain possible contamination. And you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn those who might be near you to get away from you. He was to live alone as long as the leprosy remained, which often could be till death, not a quick death. So now come back to Matthew 8 where we read, And behold, a leper came to him. Hmm. Lepers are supposed to run away from people. Lepers are supposed to unclean, unclean to make sure nobody got near them. And this leper came to Jesus. Now remember crowds... Here comes a leper. He approaches Jesus. He comes up to him. It's not supposed to happen, but it does. Can you imagine the crowd? Ah! And they're probably saying, leper, leper. The crowd parts and this guy comes up and he's not covering his mouth. He's coming to Jesus. He approaches him. He comes up to him. And as he approaches Jesus, Matthew says this leper kneels before Jesus. Mark said that he knelt and Luke goes a little further and says when he approached Jesus that he fell on his face. If you're kneeling and falling on your face, what are you doing? You're worshiping. This diseased man comes to Jesus worshiping. A crouching leper. Remember Matthew 5.3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, patokos, crouching, kneeling. This man comes worshiping Jesus. 
this leper falls before Jesus in worship. Now, can you imagine this scene? He's not supposed to be there, but he is. He's not supposed to approach anyone, but he does. And I'm thinking, maybe he doesn't know who Jesus really is, but it seems like he may. He's worshiping the king of the universe. And whether he really knows that or not, he knows that Jesus has done some pretty amazing things already. He's heard about Jesus and has determined in his heart that this rabbi or maybe this miracle worker can help him. Maybe, possibly. Can this miracle worker actually heal me? Can he make me acceptable? Can he make me acceptable to this crowd that is scared to death of me? Can he make me clean? Because if he can, he deserves my worship. Well, his statement seems to imply that he's made up his mind. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Wow. (laughs) What faith. Read that again. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This leper, this outcast, says plainly, Lord, Jesus, you can make me clean if you want to. You can. Will you? That's pretty strong stuff right there. Some people would say it's a cop-out. Like he was saying, you can, but you don't have to. But I disagree completely. This man was saying he knew that Jesus could heal him. He was not sure if Jesus would, but he knew that he could. And that's huge. I think it's a pretty good example for us in our prayers for healing, by the way. Because when you're praying, let me ask you this. Do you know that Jesus can heal you? I don't care what you got. I don't care what stage the cancer's in. I don't care what the vital signs are saying. Jesus can heal you. Now, will he? That's up to him. That's his choice. His will is what is important. Though you slay me, still I will worship. My question is this. If Jesus had not healed this man, would he have went away worshiping? I think he would have. No way to know that. But he comes approaching knowing you can heal me. Will you? Mm. This leper shows that He knows that in his worshipful words. Now both Matthew and Luke record that this leper roots this worship in calling Jesus Lord. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord can mean sir, but we don't worship sirs. This leper actually approached Jesus calling him Lord, which is what the Jews called God. This leper is coming before God. This leper is coming before the king and he is saying that he knows that Jesus can heal him if he wants to. Again, that's a loaded statement. And if you really want to know what is going on in this leper's heart, take a look at how Jesus, who knew the hearts of men, responds to him. Verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy 
was cleansed. Now, wow. Whew. Take that in for a second or two. Did Jesus honor this leper's worship and his request? Yes, he did. Don't miss the magnitude of that first part of this verse. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This leper hadn't had any human contact for as long as he had been a leper. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him. Mark prefaces this stretching out of the hand and touching the leper with this. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus, the God and King of the universe, was moved with pity to stretch out his hand and touch this worshiping leper. And not just touch him. But to touch him and say, I will be clean. Jesus reaches out and says that he will indeed heal this leper. He says, be clean. The word of healing from the word of God commands cleanness in this unclean leper. And immediately, immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Mark says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Luke says, and immediately the leprosy left him. So any way you cut it, this leper was immediately at the word and touch of Jesus, immediately healed, cleansed, clean. Just like that. Mm. Jesus speaks and the leprosy is gone. It's gone. Anybody ever been healed of leprosy? I haven't. Can you imagine? It's gone! This unclean outcast is clean. After Jesus says, I will be clean. The fallen human condition of leprosy disappeared when Jesus spoke. It's gone. It's not there anymore. This is not a progressive healing. This is not rub some salve on it. It's gone. Now keep in mind, this is not fiction. This is not a cutesy story to make you feel good. This is history. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, stepped into time and space, which He had created... And he started showing what his kingdom was about. What it looked like in the midst of a fallen sinful world. And it was miraculous. It was amazing. And you know what? It still is. It's the same kingdom. It's the same king. And the same power that we are a part of today. Now is it all the same? No, I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. We are impaired by sin which resides in our flesh and which did not reside in Jesus' flesh. Jesus had no sin. He was perfect, sinless, God in the flesh. And He knew the Father's will being one with Him like we never could. But you see, we're not Jesus in this story. 
Who are we in this story? I'm a leper. I'm unclean. I'm an outcast. I'm helpless to save myself. And this leprosy representing our sin, when Jesus speaks, y'all, it's gone. It's gone. More on that in application. But this kingdom had broken in. And this kingdom is still breaking in today. Which is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's important that we pray that. Verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now that seems a little weird, doesn't it? Now this man just got healed of leprosy. He just got cleansed. He can rejoin society. Maybe find his friends, his family, and explain to them that he's been healed and he can be with them again. They can see it, I'm sure. There's some application. Or if there's nobody to return to, he could at least go around and tell everyone what God had done for him. Share his testimony, you know. But Jesus says, no, don't say anything about this to anyone. Huh? Instead, go to the priest. Go to the temple. And offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Moses had been led by God to make provision for if someone did get cleansed or healed of their leprosy. Sometimes it went away. Leviticus 13 and 14 is riveting reading. And it gives specifics on diagnosing leprosy and boils and pus and things like that. And it also says what to offer in the temple if somebody's leprosy left. And the gift that Moses commanded was an offering that was to be killed... And then when the offering was killed, to take the blood from the offering and place the blood on the right lobe of the ear, the thumb of his right hand, the big toe of his right foot, and have oil poured on his head. Now remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus was not there, even in this moment, to contradict what God had said to Moses. Jesus is God, so he would not say something different now. So instead of telling the cleansed leper to live long and prosper, he tells him instead to do what the law says he should do. And why? For a proof to the priests. Now imagine the pickle that the priest would be in if this guy who everybody knew was a leper showed up and was like, I'm cleansed. I need to offer my offering. How did you get cleansed? Well, let me tell you. And they're like, huh. They ask what happened, and the former leper testifies of the work of Jesus in his life. Then the religious elite would have to contend with this for themselves. They have to deal with who Jesus is after seeing a miracle he's done. And the law is being fulfilled and testifying to who Jesus is, which was the purpose of the law anyway. But that didn't happen. Mark and Luke both showed that the leper went and told everyone he saw. Me too, right? He told everybody he saw what happened, and the fame of Jesus as a healer spread farther and quicker than it had before to the point that Jesus had to withdraw into desolate places to handle or escape from the crowds that were seeking Him for their own benefit. 
The leper was disobedient and it led to a hindrance in the public ministry of Jesus. I'm not going to beat him up for it though. Seems like an unfortunate ending to our passage, but it's what the Bible clearly depicts. And we all know that God can bless us and we can follow that blessing with disobedience, can we? We can. Been there, done that. And that's the end of our passage today. Which leads us to application. How do we apply these four verses into our life in the kingdom today? Four C's to apply. It's like I've been, it's been three weeks since I preached, so I've got extra application. Okay, Three plus one. The first one's real simple. And it's, well, let me, let me name them first. I guess I should tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I tell you, then I tell you what I told you. That's how this works. Four application points. Change, compassion, cleansing, and Christ. Change, compassion, cleansing, Christ. And the first one is change. And here's the deal. We sang it this morning. I am not the same. I'm a new creation. If you claim to be a Christian and your life has not changed, and when I say your life, I mean the way you think, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, your affections. If there's no change in your life, you are not a Christian. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just telling you to look around. Are you any different than you were before your conversion? And if there's no change, you have not been born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In the kingdom of the heavens, we change. And we are constantly changing. We don't get to a point in our Christian life where we're not changing anymore. The Christian life is a life of repentance from start to end. And I change the way I think. I change the way I feel. You say, can you change the way you feel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I start to develop a hunger, an appetite for the things of God, and I start to not be satisfied with the things that are out there. And I'm telling you, if that's not happening in your life, you need to come back to square one and say, God, change me. Change me. And maybe you've been saved for 20, 30, 40 years. You need to be praying, God, change me. The Christian life is about change. Was this leper changed? You betcha he was instantaneously. When leprosy leaves, you are changed. And let me tell you, when Jesus proclaims freedom to the captive and forgives your sins, you are changed. And if you're not, you have not known the forgiveness that comes from Him proclaiming you clean. Has to be a change. And am I saying drum up change? No. No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you don't see those things changing in your life, go to God and beg Him to change you. That's application point one, change. Second one is compassion. I am overwhelmed with the compassion of Jesus Christ for this one leper. One guy. 
Jesus could have went, uh, you're not supposed to be here, pal. It wasn't right for him to be there. It wasn't proper. It wasn't keeping the law. It was transgressing the law, actually. And Jesus saw this man and he felt compassion for him. That word compassion means to suffer with. We'll get to the end of Matthew. Well, this passage that we read, day 1 through 17. And it says, this was to fulfill what had been said, that he bore our afflictions and he took our diseases upon himself, which is what Isaiah had prophesied. Jesus looked at this one man and he saw his condition and he suffered with him. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he can love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Your salvation came about when Jesus Christ looked on you with compassion. And he saw your helpless state and he said, I will be clean. Were it not for the compassion of Jesus Christ, nobody in this room, nobody ever would be saved. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know that God is compassionate? I want to read a couple passages. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy or His compassion, which could be the same word, is over all that He has made. Do you know the compassion of God? Do you know the compassion of the man Jesus Christ? Because it is great. I've quoted this next passage a few times on Wednesday night. It's not the right passage. It should be 103. Psalm 103, 8 through 13. I've got it here. I don't have it here. So stay with me. Listen to this. This is amazing. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. I said this, I know I've said it on Wednesday nights, I'm going to say it again here this morning. I wish I could count the times that people say, God's got to be disappointed in me. Christians, nervous, scared, anxious, because they just know that they're not good enough for God. And what I'll do, and it's so liberating, is to look them in the eye and say, you're not enough. You're not good enough. And He is compassionate. He knows that you are but dust. And He shows you compassion. And if you have not experienced the compassion of Jesus Christ, you're not a believer. If you don't know that He knows that you're but dust, and He still chooses to take your sins and to cast them as far as the east is from the west, away from you, you haven't experienced the exhilaration of being forgiven. He's compassionate. So what's the application point for us? First, we've got to know that. 
Second of all, we got to show that. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Colossians 3.12 says. Let me ask you this. Look around this room. Do you feel compassion for the people in this room? Do you feel compassion for the sinner who is dying in his sin, in her sin? You are commanded to be compassionate. And until you have experienced the compassion of God for you, you will not show compassion to others. Jesus was moved with compassion for this unclean leper. And it moved him to action. Only compassion will move you to action. And what was the action that Jesus was moved to? It was point three. It was cleansing. Cleansing. Let me read a couple verses and I want to expound on that a little. Come now, God says. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, blah, 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 blah. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you? Do you know that you have been cleansed? If you're not a Christian, do you know that you need to be cleansed? Because you do. And if you are a Christian, you have been cleansed. Cleansed! Look at this, 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us. And we said we have been cleansed. The blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us in the present, in the future, from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us. We don't need cleansing. The heck you don't. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you been cleansed this morning? Do you know that you've been cleansed this morning, Christian? What's that word mean? It means it's gone. Just like the leprosy. I I will be clean. Gone! You said, but I'm still sinning. It's gone! I will be clean. God, I sinned again. I know. Be clean. I confess my sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Does that mean we've got to confess it? I confessed my need for a Savior at my conversion. I confessed my sin and my sins and it's gone. That's His work. That's what He does. That's what we celebrate here every Sunday. Thank God we celebrate this every Sunday. Thank God we remember and proclaim every Sunday that this happened and that this brought our cleansing. Not this juice, but what it represents. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. No more guilt, y'all. No no more guilt. The gavel has swung and you are not guilty. But I've done it. Yes, you have. And He took it all away. 
He cleansed you. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, after listing all those who are outside the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some versions say you were cleansed. Do you know your need for cleansing if you're not a Christian? Do you know that you have been cleansed if you are a Christian? It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the fear of God being mad at us because we sinned. He knows our frame. He knows that we're but dust. He's compassionate with us. And He says... I will be clean. Change, compassion, cleansing, and finally, Christ. Do you know this morning who Jesus is? Well, I know who He was. I can read what He did when He's on. Do you know that Jesus is the Christ? Well, yeah, what does that mean though? Let me tell you what that means. Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, kicked in the honey by the Holy Spirit, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who am I? You are the Christ. What does that mean? That word Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. Now, what's that mean? Who gets anointed? Prophets, priests, and kings get anointed. And Jesus is all three. The king has been anointed king. So that's his anointing. He's a high priest, the perfect high priest, anointed by God to intermediate between us and God. He's been anointed for that. And he speaks the words of God. He is the word of God. So he's been anointed as a prophet as well. Jesus Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know that today? That he is still the Christ. That he is still the anointed king of all the universe. And that he is the anointed priest who intermediates between you and God. And that God's not mad at you anymore because you're in him. Because here's the thing, if you know who Christ is, you will know who you are. I am not the same. I'm a new creation. You have overcome. It is finished. It is done. Risen Savior. Reigning King. And I am in Him. You cannot know who you are if you do not know who He is. And He is the Christ. The Son of the living God. Matter of fact, that makes... Your salvation, plain. If you don't know that, you're not saved. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, John says, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. You can't be born again if you don't know that Jesus is the Christ. The anointed one who died for you, who rose again, who is seated at the right hand of God, reigning in victory and power today. So that now we can operate in the kingdom of the heavens because the Christ is for us. Do you know today, Christian, who Jesus is? And do you operate in a world 
that shows him as the Christ? Can people see your cleansing, your newness, your difference, your change, and say, what happened to you? Jesus happened to me. I'm not a more moral person who's trying harder to do better. I've been changed. I've been cleansed. Jesus Christ showed compassion to me. And He can show compassion to you. Because the story that we read today, the historical account that we read today, is the gospel. Literally. A poor, helpless, hopeless leper. Dead in his sins and transgressions. Dead man walking. Unclean! Unclean! Has the audacity because of a revelation of him knowing who this man was to approach the king of the universe. And he says, I know who you are. And if you want to, you can cleanse me. You can heal me. And moved with compassion, the king of the universe says, I will be clean. That's the gospel. Will you approach Jesus Christ this morning, worshiping Him, understanding who He is, and say, I know you can, and I'm asking if you will. Maybe that happened in your life somewhere way back then. Praise God for that. Maybe it needs to happen today. Praise God for that. I will. Be clean. And then this guy just couldn't keep his yap shut about what Jesus had done for him. Maybe he set off toward the temple. He's like, I can't help it. I can't help it. Look at me. I'm clean. Look at me. Three minutes ago, I was a leper. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I can't help but tell people who this man was that did this to me. He's very God, a very God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He is worthy of my worship. And I want to proclaim to everybody who He is and what He's done for me. That's the gospel. What will you do with it today? unbeliever. What will you do with it today, believer? Will the kingdom of heaven break into your life and out all through your life? Because that's what should happen. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we confess and profess your greatness, your goodness, your holiness, your ability to make even me clean. And I have the audacity to run to you and confess you as Lord and trust you to reach out and make me clean. And you will in no 
way, no wise, cast out anybody who comes to you for that cleansing. You will not. So Holy Spirit, would you move us to see Jesus, to proclaim him as Lord, and to be cleansed this morning. Change us. Show your compassion to us. so that we might be cleansed and proclaim you as the Christ. Have your way. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and receive a familiar benediction? Before I read it, I do want to ask you, do you believe that he is able? In your life, not us, not, not right now, not us, in your life, do you believe that he is able to do what he has said he can and will do? Because now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed. Stay and eat with us if you can, though.